Well, guys, good morning. Hopefully you are doing well. Thank you so much for taking the time to watch and listen. Well, we're jumping back into our series, Love Song, which is our walk through the Song of Solomon. Um, if there's any book in the Bible that could get teenagers to read it, it's definitely this one. And if those who really don't like to talk about sex and you squirm when you hear that word, this is definitely that book. So, Song of Solomon is a love song written about a thousand years before Jesus' birth. And this song is being a conversation between a man and a woman. And theologians have two approaches on how to read it or interpret it. One is an allegory. So it represents, this conversation represents God's love for Israel or Christ's love for the church, God's love for his people, or a in, in literal interpretation, which means that it's a real conversation between a man and a woman. And so we're going to take the literal approach, but at times reference Christ's love for the church. So the first week we looked at four areas of attraction that we can develop within ourselves through the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. We also looked at the second week about pursuing the other person in a way that honors God and honors the other person. And we learned that it's important that we pursue forever, not just to get married, but afterwards. And so today we're going to be talking about what does it look like to rescue sex, rescue sex. I don't think this would surprise you, but our culture is sexually charged. It's a sexually charged culture. And there was a study conducted by the United Kingdom's The Times, and it found the following. Pornography is leading to a way of sex where women get hurt. BDSM, which stands for bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, sadism and masochism, is now uh, ordinary. Slapping and choking are expected when it comes to sex. Now, rough sex is now the second most popular porn category for Generation Z. 50% say online porn is a sex education, and 58% watch online porn. So without a doubt, porn is changing how we understand sex, how we see other people, and how we experience sex. So from the study, the more someone watches porn, the less aroused they are by their partner. And we're beginning to see celebrities and influencers begin to speak out and speak up against the dangers of porn. Uh, Billie Eilish, for example, she was one of the Generation Z celebrities who spoke ironically to Howard Stern about the dangers of porn. She believes that porn destroyed her brain. Notice what she says. I think it really destroyed my brain, and I feel incredibly devastated that I was exposed to so much porn. The first few times I, you know, had sex, I was not saying no to things that were not good. It was because I thought that's what I was supposed to be attracted to. I think porn is a disgrace. So let's call a quick timeout. What was your first conversation about sex? Maybe you have to go back in time quite a, quite a many Quite a, quite a few years, maybe a couple of decades. Who was it with? I think for many of us, the, the talk was in eight words or less. It, it went like this. Don't do it until you're married. I believe some of us, when we talk about a topic like this, I, I believe that we're, we're bringing baggage and experience and even confusion into this topic. Regardless of our age, Sex is something that impacts all of us in one way or another. Like, did you know that sex starts before the bedroom? Like in their song, 
Solomon and his bride understood that God-honoring sex starts before the bedroom. And we live in a culture that is sexually saturated, and it often misrepresents God's design for sex. And so what we're going to be learning is that God has a rescue plan waiting for all of us when it comes to sex. We're going to see how the man in our story, many believe to be Solomon, honors his bride, compliments her, builds her up, and listens to her. And we're going to learn four qualities of God-honoring sex. So this is the first quality of God-honoring sex. Sex starts before the bedroom. Sex starts before the bedroom. Now we're going to go back into the conversation between the man and the woman. Now the man is speaking, and most likely this is after their wedding ceremony, because women in that culture usually only wore veils during their wedding, and they would take that off as they got into the bedroom. So notice what he says. Notice what he says. You are beautiful, my darling, beautiful beyond words. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Doves were known for their innocence, and he's saying you're innocent. You have innocent character. You have character. You're you're innocent. Your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats winding down the slopes of Gilead. See, most Jewish women had their hair up or had it covered. And so what's so interesting is he gets to see it really for the first time, her hair down, and it is breathtaking for him. It's wavy, it's curly, and he's blown away. He likes what he sees. Then he goes a little further down. He says, your teeth are as white as sheep, recently shorn and freshly washed. Your smile is flawless, each tooth matched with its twin. He says, you have all your teeth, which is a good thing. But he says, wow, you clean. You clean them and you have fresh breath. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is inviting. He's like, I I just want to kiss you. Your lips are so inviting. They're just perfect. And then he says, your cheeks are like rosy pomegranates behind your veil. Remember, she's dark complexion and those rosy, those red cheeks just pop. He says, your neck is as beautiful as the Tower of David, jeweled with the shields of a thousand heroes. He says, your appearance is awesome like David's tower. And the compliment is that he's letting her know that you care. You care for yourself. You took care of yourself. And you take care of yourself well. And in a time when women were mistreated, what he does is he compliments her image and encourages her. He's putting the emphasis not just on the physical, but on the emotional Like he's building her up emotionally as he compliments her. Like he's not rushing the physical. He's slowing it down. Um, When we were in a small group about eight, nine years ago with other couples in a similar life stage, uh, we were all married with small kids or we had yet to have kids. And we were discussing the message notes from a series we were doing at church about marriage. And one of the topics was that, um, one of the topics is what makes a woman feel seen and paves the way to physical intimacy. So the wives began talking about things that make them feel seen. Unloading the dishwasher, doing the laundry, folding the laundry, rubbing their feet, waking up early in the morning to feed the baby so they can sleep, filling up the car, and even going shopping with them. And then we were stunned. You know, the guys were in the room like, what? And the women doubled down. 
They doubled down on this. And so guess what happened the next week? We go begin telling our stories how we rubbed their feet. And you guys know how I am about feet anyway. But I, you know, willing to do it and uh, doing the laundry, loading and unloading the dishwasher. We even made dinner a couple of nights. We were all in on this because we understood from our wives that, wow, sex starts before the bedroom. Like it's important for both the man and the woman to be seen, to be, to be valued. And there are a couple practical ways we can do this. Maybe write a note on a post-it for no reason. Send a thoughtful text for no reason. Spend time talking after dinner. Find childcare and go to dinner. Another thing that we could do for the other person is non-sexual touching. I mean, without the goal of having sex. It's just you do it for the sake of doing it. It's a back rub. It's a foot rub. It's a cuddle. It's a hug. It's a kiss on the cheek or the forehead. Slowing down. You're enjoying her. You're enjoying him. The second quality of God honoring sex is being passionate or having passion. Now, we're going to listen in the conversation. Remember, he left off at the neck. Look where he goes next. He says, your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle grazing among the lilies. Like her breasts were like two fawns, which means he was to be gentle, tender, and caring. Like when we think of fawns, we think of their softness and their tenderness. He wasn't just diving in. Like if he just went diving in, do you think the fawns would still be grazing while you're no longer gazing. He mentions spending the whole night. Notice this. Before the dawn breezes blow and the night shadows flee. He's like, before the night is over, I will hurry to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You're altogether beautiful, my darling. Beautiful in every way. He mentions spending the whole night together. And the whole point is that he's approaching sex with passion. He'll eventually get to the rest of her body before the night is over. See, his approach is worth copying because he spends time just looking and complimenting. He's encouraging her by her words. He's not rushing it. He's valuing her as a woman. He mentions that her breasts are like myrrh and frankincense. You know, those were two gifts that the wise men gave Jesus because they were valuable, and they were luxurious items. So to him, not only were her breasts attractive, but they were of great value to him. Notice how he praises eight parts of her body. Some of us, man, we're so stuck on the one part that we can't compliment her other parts, man. We just need to slow down and look at the rest of her. The third quality of God-honoring sex is trust. Notice what the man continues to say. They're in the bedroom. He says, you have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes, with the single jewel of your necklace. What he's saying in so many words, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm being vulnerable to you. I'm giving you my all. And that's what sex needs to be full of. And that's trust. See, sex is necessary because both are being vulnerable. And when you go naked with someone, you're being vulnerable. And for those who've been married for a time, man, there may be times where someone in the relationship feels insecure. 
something's going to happen that's going to trigger that insecurity. It could be gravity. It could be stretch marks. It could be weight. It could be balding. It could be dysfunction. See, sex is more just about physical. It's about the emotional because sometimes we're going to be struggling emotionally, mentally, and spiritually because of what we look like or what's happening to us. And we may struggle to be seen by our spouse. We may want to cover up because we're, we feel insecure. See, God's design for a man and a woman in marriage to be fully exposed to each other physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. See, when things are kept, it can create distance between each other. And when there's distance, sex is missing trust. See, in most relationships, the man usually tend to, you know, has a higher sex drive than the woman. And in some cases, it's the same or the woman has a higher sex drive. If sex for the sake of a husband's release or even a woman's release, then we're missing the point of God honoring sex. It's important that you're available to your spouse. No one's arguing that. It's important to recognize that emotional needs are just as important as physical needs and physical needs are just as important as emotional needs. We're not just a body. Like you and I are not just a body, but we are made of mind, body, and soul, which means that sex is more than just about the body. It's about the mind and the soul. I like what Sheila Gregoire, she writes, she says, what would happen if we saw sex as an opportunity to mirror Christ's servanthood to our spouse? Seeing sex through the lens of the cross encompasses so much than being naked and unashamed. It becomes a conduit for intimate relationships and reconciliation to each other. Sex seen through the lens of the cross has no room for taking or entitlement. And it leads us and segues us to the final quality of God honoring sex. And that's being holy. Sex is holy. Notice what the man tells his bride. You are my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. Back in that time, gardens were walled out or walled off to keep out intruders. And then the springs and the fountains, they were sealed on the sides to indicate private ownership. And so what he's doing is he's praising and thanking her for being a virgin. She valued, she valued that, and he valued that as well. And so they're both coming into this place as virgins. They both had purity. Um, over the last decade, um, I've been called old-fashioned by those who have a different viewpoint of premarital sex. I remember speaking at a church on this topic and explained that God's design was sex inside of marriage alone. Anything out of that, anything outside of that is sin. And even with forgiveness from God, like if, if you went against sort of his, if you went against his way, you could seek forgiveness and based on the scriptures, he would forgive you. I said, you can experience healing. But I also said that you still may experience consequences of living a life outside of God's design. I shared that some of us, if we're even with, if we continue with that partner, if we move on to another partner, we may struggle with contentment. 
We may struggle with resentment. We may struggle with hurt. We may struggle with unhealthy expectations of what sex should be like. I won't forget it that being uh, wrapping up the sermon, I get out, um, I guess, to the foyer area where people were. And I had a dad tell me after the message that I needed to do a better job understanding who was in the room because his daughter was in the room living with someone. And he said that I hurt her feelings because I said that it is wrong to have sex before marriage. Even though I talked about forgiveness and asking God for forgiveness and it just seemed like it wasn't good enough that I was hurting her feelings. I was hurting her because it seemed for her that there was no hope. I didn't know what to say. We're in the middle with other people. I had no idea what to say. So I just said, thank you for sharing that with me. I didn't think it was really wise to get in an argument on a Sunday morning. Here's the truth. Maybe I wish I could go back in time and maybe maybe change how I would have said this and address this with some tact. God's truth stays the same forever. It doesn't change. And the reason why God desires a man and a woman to wait is because sex is the ultimate investment to the marriage relationship. Sex is holy. It's distinct. It's separate for marriage. Um, It's God's design for a man and a woman to be in a covenant, and that's part of the covenant. It's sex. So marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. It's a binding spiritual agreement, which is why couples say during their vows to death do us part. See, covenants in the Bible were established by God that he would choose a people for himself and bless them. So covenants require the shedding of blood. Two parties would sacrifice an animal, whether a bull, a ram, or a goat. They would divide that animal in half. One half would be on one side of the path, and one would be on the other side of the path. You would walk down that path between the two halves, And it's signifying, you're saying, may this be done to me if I break my part of the agreement. So for example, in Genesis 15, God and Abraham make this agreement. But when Abraham falls asleep after cutting up the the animal and putting it on both sides, Abraham falls asleep and God is the one who passed alone through the pieces of dead animal. The pieces of the dead animal, signifying that everything depended on God and nothing depended on Abraham. What God was saying is, this is an unconditional covenant. No matter what you do, I'm going to make this thing happen. And then that is basically foreshadowing what is to come with Jesus. The lives of the animals could never remove sin because the life of an animal is not a sufficient substitute for human life. Animals are not made in the image of God. So Jesus comes and he establishes the new covenant. And this new covenant, he was the ultimate sacrifice. And Jesus was without sin and he shed his blood on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. When we take the Lord's Supper, the bread and juice represent the body and blood that Jesus shed for us. And then by grace through faith, our sins are forgiven and we are made whole. This is why Jesus says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. In God's design, in God's covenant design, 
a virgin man enters a virgin woman and there would be shedding of blood. And this explains the covenant before God and each other that they are no longer two individuals, but they are together as one. And after that first time, you know, where there was shedding of blood, and then what would happen is every time a man and a woman in marriage have sex, it's renewing their covenant vows. See, sex is not only intensely physical, but it's immeasurably spiritual. Sex is not only intensely physical, but it's immeasurably spiritual. Notice in this moment what the woman says in response to her man. Awake, north wind, rise up, south wind, blow on my garden, spread its fragrance all around. Come into your garden, my love. Taste its finest fruits. And in case you didn't know what was happening, they had sex. Your garden, she says, my garden is your garden, signifying they are becoming one. So perhaps there's a lot of tension and there's a lot of pain maybe within you or between you and your partner. Maybe you feel guilt and regret um, as you've taken a different approach than God. Maybe for you, you didn't have a choice as it was taken from you. And I'm so sorry for that. The last thing that God wants you to feel is shame. Shame attacks our identity. See, God provides you identity. You may not even be a follower of Jesus, but he provides you identity as an image bearer, that you bear God's image. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, you're, you're an adopted son or daughter. So you you've went to God, you, for, you, know, you confessed your sins, he forgave you, he put his spirit in you. You are an adopted son or daughter of God. That is your identity. That is your identity. And there's nothing we can do to make ourselves whole, but he can. And when Jesus touches someone, they become new, they become clean, they become whole, they become holy. And since he created you, he knows how to provide emotional and spiritual healing. And there's the invitation for all of us to recommit ourselves to purity, even if we had a different approach than God. See, not only are our sins forgiven as you confess, but you're made whole by Jesus. There's no more shame. You're made new. I love what Paul, how he sums it up. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. I remember many times reading the stories in the New Testament, Jesus would say, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. That's the new life with Jesus as king. He's the leader of our life. He's the king of our heart. And we are following him the way that he's designed and how he wants us to follow him. We're surrendered to him. We're trusting his way over our ways. We're understanding that sex has a purpose. And hopefully he's rescued sex for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, a topic like this can bring a lot of tension, maybe a lot of regret, maybe some guilt, maybe some shame. 
And Father, I'm asking that you would deliver us from that. Help us to first understand why you set it up this way. Help us to understand how you help us to navigate the challenges in our culture. So Father, I'm asking for those who are yet to become an adopted son or daughter of yours. I ask that they would surrender all to you. Their pain, their story, their hurt over to you. For those who are followers of Jesus, I ask that you would help them to submit to you as their leader and as their king. Holy Spirit, remind us that if we keep trying to force it our way, we're going to cause a lot of hurt and we're going to make it more of a mess than it already is. So help us to trust you. Help us to make our relationships right. Help us in our relationships to honor you and honor other people. Remind us that sex is part of the covenant between a man and a woman. Thank you for designing it. Thank you for having it this way. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.